0: The Links and Locks podcast. Better than most. Better than most. Better than most.
1: <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner. <laughs> Four.
0: You got real talent. Don't concentrate on golf. Hello, you beautiful degenerates, and welcome to Links and Locks, the Action Network's golf betting podcast, presented by Bet Three Six Five. I'm your host, Roberto Arguello, and I'm excited to be joined today by Spencer Aguiar. Spencer's been on a bit of a heater the last couple weeks, and we're going to look to keep it rolling. Our usual third partner on our podcast, Nick Brett, unfortunately can't make it again this week. He couldn't make it last week, so he just gave us one outright pick. It happened to be on Sam Burns at 42-1, to so he's never missed on a pick he's made while not being here. Uh, And by the way, two weeks ago, Spencer and I both had Taylor Moore. Nick had... Sam Burns last week so the pod overall is on a heater Spencer also had some Cam Young rollovers last week but we'll talk about that a little bit later Um, we're going to try to stay hot this week at the Valero Texas Open in San Antonio at TPC San Antonio Spencer excited to talk some golf this week with you before we get to the big one next week with the Masters
1: yeah Roberto I'm always excited to talk golf with you and um, you know all these tournaments at least for me They all count the same way, like obviously from a professional betting standpoint, this tournament is going to be as equal as you're going to get with the Masters and the Masters is going to be as equal as you get with Corrales. So Mm -hmm. all of that needs to be said, but with all of that in mind, I am happy that we seem to be peaking at the right time for Augusta. You always want to have all everything working in the right direction in that regard. So I'm excited what we're doing on this show and yeah, let's get into this.
0: I'm excited. The money money still spends the same, whether it's from Punta Cana, San Antonio, or Augusta. So let's hope we can keep adding to our sum so far this season. Uh, We're going to get into our best bets immediately, then do our outrights. Then we'll look at Spencer's matchup bet, and then additionally, any other placement market bets or other exotics before we wrap up, maybe touch on um, thoughts from last week before we sign off. So without further ado, Spencer. What's your best bet this week?
1: So I'm going to go back to the head-to-head market. That's a, that's a space this year where I am 10-2. and two. It's my bread and butter. I am going to take Nick Taylor, minus 110 over Adam Shank.
0: All right. I like Nick Taylor. We saw him nearly win at the WM Phoenix Open, one of the first designated events of the entire season. I'm going to go with a guy coming off the DP World Tour in Nikolai Hoigard, minus 120 for 48th or better this week. I like it in a couple of market other markets as well. But before we get into Hoyguard, why are you betting this matchup this week?
1: So I always say that I run things from a two-year perspective. And that means I'm slow to move on some surges, specifically if we're talking about the outright market. I tend to think those shifts in price are often chasing the bad end of the number as it is. So I don't have a massive concern that I'm lagging and catching up to the price in any market that we're talking about. I I think once casinos know someone has caught fire, we get these deliberate moves that make the value pretty much unbettable. That said, the opposite effect seems to occur in the head-to-head market since players can start to enter a range of the board to which they may not belong And none of that is to suggest that Shank and Taylor are vastly different commodities if you throw them on a random course in the world. However, I do believe we have a nice advantage in this situation compared to the price when we run the data to fit TPC San Antonio. So Schenck ranked 97th in weighted strokes gain total for this course. That's 53 spots below his baseline. And then the weighted proximity brought a secondary issue to the table. When we look at his 125th place rank that he produces, I realize his form is better than we've gotten in years past of playing this event. But the back-to-back missed cuts here should be viewed as highly discouraging for his chances this season. If I was to properly price this, I had minus 130 as the correct total, but it mostly comes down to the fact that Shank's lack of around the green prowess over an extended period of time very well might catch up to him in Texas, making the iron and G.I.R. woes from a mathematical perspective highly enhanced. Um, Kind of as I talked about, like minus 130, minus 135 is more of that range where I would want to be. And Nick Taylor, to me, is a golfer that is a top 20 player in this field, no matter how I pretty much ran it. I was trying to figure out a way, and I always say I'm always looking for an opponent to fade rather than a player I want to back. It just so happened that this situation found both of those scenarios and it played out perfectly. So the two golfers, when I ran my model originally, that I wanted to try to find a way to get exposure against them would have been Davis Riley. I thought that his price was a little bit too aggressive in most of these markets. I did not find a head-to-head bet that I liked. And then the second one was Adam Schenck in the spot to where this worked out perfectly because my model did find Nick Taylor to be a top 20 golfer. I wanted to try to find exposure to him in the outright market, which I didn't get there. I believe Nick did. So, I mean, that's something to keep in mind. And I think he's certainly in play there, but I really liked it from the minus 110 price just because twenty twenty five points was enough to punch the ticket.
0: I like it. And- fading a player who's coming off of one of his best events, especially with a really hot putter. We know Shank is a great putter, but for him to have a career best day or best weekend with the putter as well, I think there's value in fading him, especially on a course like Valero or like TPC San Antonio, where it's pretty tough statistically to make putts outside of 15 feet.
1: Yeah. L- let me just add one thing to that also, because I think that's an interesting point that you just brought up. And and the other thing with it too there's 7% less G uh, G I R percentage here for every single player. So it's hard to hit greens in regulation. I kind of worry about the weighted proximity. Like when you talk about a player, that's 125th in my model and weighted proximity, you start running into these back end problems of kind of what's going to occur there. And look the around the green over the last 24 rounds is something that certainly looks good. I think that's one of the reasons why he's found success with this. He's, 30th in my model over the last 24 rounds. But the more prototypical form of shank that we know is 86th over a two-year regression model that I run. So I I think it's like the perfect course, or maybe for him, the the worst course you could get. So where a lot of those things start highlighting for him and the weight of proximity is not where it needs to be. The GIR percentage is outside the top 100 Uh, The around the green game might kind of be one of those situations where this is not exactly what we think it is. The current data is really propelling him further than it should be. And as you said, it's a difficult course with putting, like it's a ball strikers course at the end of the day, but there's a lot of concrete details from a putter that you need to take into account here. So uh, if he's struggling and he's scrambling on all these holes, like, look, you don't have to look any further than what I, I know it's a little bit of a different situation, but I mean, Kevin Na recorded a 16 here a handful of years ago, <laughs> so there's trouble looming at all turns, and uh, it's one of the reasons why it's one of the most challenging major preps that you can find.
0: I hope we get a 17 this week, but <laughs> I don't want Kevin Na's record to be broken at the same time, so maybe we get a 15. Uh, wish we could bet on that. Um, going back to my best bet for this week, I really like Hoygaard. I've got an outright bet on him that I'll touch on in a minute, but he's got upside in great form and The upside I'll touch on in a minute, but the form is what I'm looking at for this 48th or better bet. He was top 13 in four of his last six DP World Tour tournaments. So he's been playing really well. And looking back at his data over the last couple of years, he's only 22 years old. So there is some upside with him being young and not reaching his ceiling quite yet as far as uh, golf age and form. But he is super long, which will help... which always helps of course and driving accuracy isn't as big of an issue for me this week with the rough not being as penal you just can't miss it in the wrong spots a la kevin nah and he made his first PJ tour start this season last week at punta cana he finished second there is a lack of data with him playing in some of these dp world tour events like in thailand and last week in punta cana where there was no shot link data so there's a bit of unknown which is why i think he might be priced a little bit lower than had there been shotling data at all these tournaments where he's been playing well recently but his prone to streaky golf both good and bad is a big reason why i like him to continue his hot form this week
1: yeah i don't have the data behind you know to give a sophisticated answer the way that i would want to but i think you mentioned it best he's a 22 year old kid who has been, I mean, if you go through these results at Punta Khanna, he comes in second place. Uh, the Hero Hero Indian Open, he came in 32nd. He had a fifth at the Thailand Classic. He seems to be trending in the right direction right now. And like, look, as I said, I don't run a bunch of non-PGA Tour stats, so I don't necessarily have the data. But it's the opposite of almost what I'm talking about with Shank in this situation. Like, we know him to be, however you want to word it, more of a journeyman type of player that the the historical data that i have on him i would expect to regress back to the mean level of whatever that is like he's mm. overperforming right now i don't know what to expect with hoygard like he's a, like i said he's a young kid who has immense upside to him so uh if it's a number grab in a situation it it certainly makes sense to me
0: so we mentioned both of our best bets nick brewish also did send us his picks for this week, his betting card. So he told us his best bet is Ryan Fox for top 40 at minus 105. So Ryan Fox, another guy who's had a lot of success on the DP World Tour, played pretty well last week in Austin, had what I thought was one of the shots of the tournament where he nearly hit a hole-in-one on the drivable par 4, 13th over that lake at Austin Country Club. He ended up knocking it in for Eagle. But what are your thoughts on Ryan Fox this week?
1: I, I like him from a safety perspective. I mean, he's another player that I don't have a ton of data on, but mm. extremely long. He had a drive last week over, I want to say 430 yards. So uh, clearly that he's, been on the 12th. Yeah. Yeah. Clearly. I mean, he has the distance and I, I don't know exactly what I think about TPC San Antonio this week, as far as would I rather it be distance or accuracy? We know it to be a very long course. So I, I certainly think distance is going to help. I think if you look at the dispersion of scoring between the two factors, I don't know if I see a, a one way or the other that it needs to be. So, you know, I kind of like that Fox at least has like the distance to it. It's the same reason why I like Joseph Bramlett this week. Like give me a player that can attack this course a little bit differently. But uh, 12th in my model from an overall rank, he was inside the top 10 for safety. Uh, I think a top 40 is probably the ideal way to play it if you're going to back him. I don't know what his upside is. Maybe he wins this tournament. I know he's a very popular bet in the outright market, and I don't have enough data to necessarily give an answer one way or another with it, but uh, from a safety perspective with the way I ran my numbers, that was certainly a value.
0: You mentioned Joseph Bramlett. Let's get into your outright card this week.
1: Perfect. So I have a handful Um, you know, I I grabbed four plays early on Monday morning. Uh, some of these have unfortunately moved since the time I will note where I got it, I will note what it's gotten to. But I think it's an interesting board for a couple reasons. So a lot of my win equity is at the top, and this isn't the same sort of an answer that you would give with Scheffler or Rom. I think this is, you know, much flatter and smaller with the win equity that we're talking about, but there's still a lot of players, like whether it's the Terrell Hatton, Siwoo Kim, uh, Corey Connors. These are players that my model liked this week. It didn't like the value that I could get a bet on them, but it thought that these were guys that could win the event. So I wasn't trying to find a ton of exposure. I did add a fifth one after talking to Nick here, and I will get into that bet in a second. But I started with Andrew Putnam at 55 to 1. Putnam was a strange statistical fit from a modeling perspective because of the high-end returns that I had for him for... Weighted uh, GIR percentage, scrambling, sand save, bogey avoidance. Yeah, he was inside the top five for win play, inside the top 10 for past TPC results. To me, that demonstrates a profile that has legitimate top 10 win equity expectations. That's going to be before some of the bad got added to the mix of the weighted proximity that tracked outside the top 100 of this field. And... I guess what needs to be said an off the team game that suffered similar trajectory with its expectations. Of course that last part isn't ideal, but I do love Putnam's past success in Texas. It doesn't take much improvement for him to start trending right back into that top 10 equity range. Thought 55 to one was a really good number. Uh, This is one of the wagers, unfortunately has moved a lot. And I would almost say that anytime you have a ball striker course, um, I would almost just keep betting Alex Smalley anytime that you can get him over a hundred to one. I got him 110 to one. That seems to be now sitting more in the 80 to one range. I want to think that my constant touting of Smalley has something to do with that movement, but <laughs> the truth is probably that the American is one of your best ball striking savants. That's going to go as far as the putter will take him. We've seen an option like Corey Connors win here in the past. So there are reasons to be optimistic that the ball striking alone can be enough to get him across the finish line. That's assuming if the putter can be neutral. I took Robbie Shelton at a hundred to one. Shelton was first in my model for weighted GIR for TPC San Antonio. The weighted proximity and scoring also place him inside the top fifteen of this field. It's not going to be a perfect profile when we look at some of the past struggles in the wind, but I don't think you're ever going to get a flawless choice when you enter this territory. I think we talk about this Roberto a lot on this show. Uh, the hope is always that you find the high end returns and they stay consistent. And then the potential trouble becomes a thing of the past for the week, It's kind of exactly the same mentality that I took with my last play of Joseph Bramlett at 150 to one. Unfortunately, same exact situation here. This looks to be more in the 90 or 100 to one range at the time of recording this podcast. Uh, there's other ways to play this. We can When we get into the placement market, I certainly think a top 20 or a top 10 will be in play, but it's kind of the same similar answer that we just talked about with Ryan Fox. He has one of these unique skill sets where the distance might be able to be an advantage to him. And then when we look at a TPC layout and his ability to kind of attack this in a different way with the ball striking, like, look, the putter is horrible. He's one of the worst putters in this field. We all know that at this point, but that's fine. Like we're talking about Corey Connors who won this tournament in 2019. There is a path for some of these players. Like I can keep saying that yes, putting does matter and it's very slow Velcro-like greens. Uh, You're going to have some of the undulation of Augusta. Like, I don't want to quite call it that. Like, it's... I'd be curious to get your thoughts on this. Like, to me, it's a prep for Augusta, but you do it in such a weird way that you don't have the speed of the greens, which, like, the two reasons why, if I was a player, I wouldn't want to come here. One, the course is too difficult. I don't know if I want to get tested like that rather than go to Augusta. And two... It's too slow. Like you'd want those fast greens of Augusta. You have the dispersion of scoring that increases around the green. You have the dispersion of scoring that increases the putting from five to 15 feet, but you lose the speed on the back end. And I'm kind of just hoping for Bramlett here that you give him such a slow surface. And even though, like, historically, it hasn't proven to be fruitful. For him, from a putting perspective, sometimes those minor changes can help a golfer that's just struggling so badly with the putter. So I'm going to bet on the ball striking. I'm going to hope that the returns kind of go in the other direction with the putter.
0: Yeah. Unfortunately, the greens, when they come, when the PJ tour comes to Texas can't be that fast just because the wind yeah. plays a factor, especially at TPC, San Antonio, um, last week at Austin country club. Also wind plays a factor with that course being right on Lake Austin being in a wind tunnel. So like Austin Country Club not a great course for stroke play because you can't have the greens that fast and if you do have them that fast you might have delays because the ball's moving on the greens and similar reasons why you can't have the greens that fast at TPC San Antonio especially this week where the winds are projected to be quite strong Thursday and Friday at least as of the time of recording for this podcast. So be sure to take a look at the weather closer to thursday morning if you haven't placed your bets or if you want to p- place any uh live bets this week as well um it is a weird course right in front of augusta and it's not really as tree-lined as a place like augusta and there's a lot so there's a lot of room and the rough isn't very penal but there are clumps of trees and rocks that you just have to avoid so it's, it's a weird course um it, there would be a.
1: Yeah, I mean, there would be a better spot on the schedule for it, I guess is where I'm kind of going with it. Like you have some of the the factors that mimic it, but then you're so like, it's so varying in other directions that it doesn't make sense that this is the tournament right before. Uh, I don't think, by the way, I don't think any tournament that you put before Augusta is going to get the quality <laughs> of field. But I mean, it's almost a deterrent for any player. Just there's just too many differences that I wouldn't want to start getting stuck into
0: any other uh, outright bets that you have?
1: Oh, yeah, I'll actually add one more. So I I did add one, uh, which is a Nick play, and I'll give Nick credit for it. And uh, that's Alex Norin at 46 to one. I don't know exactly what to think about Alex Norin on the PGA tour. Like we're still waiting for that first victory. And it feels like, I mean, there was a time period where with him in Fleetwood, it felt like it was going to come every single week, maybe more so on the Fleetwood front of it. But uh, I've always liked Alex Noren. I, he was the player that I used to back in the match play more than any other golfer. And I was completely off of him last week. I didn't want anything to do with him. And you're still going to have volatility, but it's like we talk about, I'm fine with the volatility on a golfer that I, I believe the price has gotten a little bit too enhanced for the quality of golfer that he is in this field. So second in my model and strokes game total at TPC properties, he's inside the top 20 for wind. We know him to be a good wind player. And I kind of just like his putter mm-hmm. for this course. Like I think Nick said that he was second. Uh, don't quote me on that, but I think he was second in his model or at least inside the top five for expected putting on this exact green complex. For me, he's inside the top 10. I believe he has a unique way that he can gain strokes here. And I'd be curious to what the winning score ends up being, because you talked about the win that is in the forecast and If this thing can play closer to 11, 12, 13 under par, rather than some of those 17, 18 under par victories that we've gotten, that to me seems like the recipe for success where Noren can pull this off. And, you know, no matter what answer you want to give to this, it's just the public perception around him has never been lower. And that's why we're getting this enhanced price.
0: Sometimes that's the time to buy. Yeah. So I'll go through the rest of Nick's outright card uh since you touched on Norin, Uh so he's set like you said, 46 to 1 on Norin. He also has Nick Taylor, whom you're betting on in your matchup at 50 to one. He's also betting Ryan Fox, whom you mentioned as well. Uh well, we mentioned because that's his best bet for top 40, but he also has a bet on him at 45 to one to win outright. He also has a bet on George Bulldog and winner at the Honda Classic, Chris Kirk to win at 31 to one. And then Finally, like you, who you're backing Joseph Bramlett, Nick also has a bet on a Stanford Cardinal in Brandon Wu at 90 to one to win outright. Any of those you like in particular?
1: I don't know. Like, if we look at Brandon Wu, Nick and I had this conversation. So this is not something that I haven't told him myself. (laughs) Uh, I I like Brandon Wu from a head to head perspective. I, I certainly think you can consider him for a top 40 and things like that. I kind of had negative trajectory when we talked about actually winning this event. So I'm not going to have an outright ticket on him personally. I, I understand where he's coming from with it. My model had him right outside the top 30 from an overall rank perspective. So it liked him there. It's just that upside portion of my model that kind of went south. The intriguing one to me, and I couldn't get there, was Chris Kirk. I don't know. Like, this is a really bad answer to give, and I understand that there's certain players that haven't won in such a long time. And then they finally get a victory. It's so hard for me to believe that Chris Kirk is going to come out and win again. My numbers are very flat from like what is proper and what he's priced at. So it's a fair number that Nick got like even a little bit in the realm of being a positive value that Nick got, but it's so minimal on my end that I decided not to bet it and kind of just go with more long shots this week. But From an upside perspective of my model, Chris Kirk was the one that stuck out. And I guess just as like an honorary mention of this, because I wanted so badly to get a price on this golfer. And I mean, it's another player who has, I guess, I mean, he's streaky, at least if you want to look at it in that regard to where I think he could win multiple times. Uh, I wanted a price on Siwoo Kim. I wasn't going to get there at the number that seemed to be put out in the space though. But for whatever it's worth, he was number one in my model this week
0: what number would it have taken for you to bet Seilu Kim this week?
1: So I can tell you what's proper for me and then I can tell you what I would have needed. So I, I mean, technically proper is about where it's at, at like that 20 to one, 21 to one sort of range. I would want more than that though, when I'm going to the top of the board, like I typically want between five and 10 points of value if I'm looking there. So I mean, if you could have promised me like a 27 to one, that probably would have been the price that I would have punched. Um, I just don't think it was feasible in this field, unfortunately. So maybe that's a live wager that I can get to if he starts slowly on Thursday or, you know, even better yet. It's like one of those things I keep saying. I have very little exposure to my card. Yes, I have five golfers, but I have about a half of the unit spread out between those five players. It's very easy for me to try to get back into a market, even if, even if we're talking about them 10 to one on Friday night or Saturday night, if there's value in that number, I'd rather bet it then, than jump in at the price that we're looking at. And, you know, it's not just Siwoo that fits that range there. Like my model liked Hatton, my model liked Connors, or my model likes Kirk. Like I don't want to discount Kirk. It's just, I would rather see this event start and then go from there and make my ads if I have any on Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night.
0: I agree with my outright card. I try to play it very conservative. I don't have anything shorter than 50 to one. I only have one better. I only have one bet on something shorter than 80 to one this week. So I
1: technically the same. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So like I said, I like Nikolai Hoygaard this week. I got him at 50 to one. We mentioned some reasons why I like him. Also another one. He also has won on the DP world tour. In addition to being hot recently, he won in 2022. He also had a win in 2021 and Yes, he's still just 22 years old. So he's proven that he can do it near the highest level, not at the PGA Tour yet, but second place finish last week in Punta Cana really helps. Hopefully we're not just a week late on Hoygaard, but I really like his upside. And this is not going to be the last week that I place a wager on him unless he wins this week and the numbers are just gone. Yeah. I'm also placing another wager on someone with tremendous upside. I actually like the first round leader market better for him than the outright market but I sprinkled it nonetheless at hundred to one for Akshay Batia to win this week. He's got tremendous upside last week at Punta Cana shot a 63 in the second round. Didn't break 70 in the other three rounds. So unclear if he can put it together for four rounds to win a tournament, but in a field that lacks upside and guys who are at the top of the board, not being the most elite players on the PGA tour, I'd say there are no elite players on the PGA tour. Terrell Hatton is the best one in the field this week, but he's, uh, C or D tier guy among the top players in the world, uh, among the top, top players, uh, obviously with like John Rom, Scotty Scheffler and Ray McIlroy being in their own tier, I'm not saying he's a bad golfer. It's just, there are a lot of tiers on the PGA tour with 250 sure. players. Um, I like Patia's upside. He's got two top seven finishes in four corn ferry tour starts this year, made five of six cuts on the PGA tour. And in four of his last five uh, tournaments on tour, he shot at least a 65 or lower. So he's got upside. Can he put together? I'll take a chance on him doing that this week. Um, I also bet Ben Martin. I really like the approach numbers for him. Top 13 finishes in three of his last five starts gain strokes on approach in seven of the last eight tournaments. And that's not even including last week when he finished T eight at Punta Cana, cause there's no data. He's also shown that he can spike with the putter, not a great putter normally, but he can't, he does have some upside with the flat stick. So I like him there. You already touched on Alex Smalley. I bet him at 85 to one. Um, I'm also playing the approach play upside with him. And that's it for my outright card. So still room for more, Um, not going to force anything. There are a lot of guys that I liked, like Sebu Kim as well, wanted to see what his number was. It wasn't where I needed it to be. And I think guys at the top of the board are priced fairly. Wanted to bet on Ricky Fowler because we want him to make the Masters, but I have not placed a wager on him in any market just because the value isn't there, but I'll be rooting for him.
1: That's what makes it so difficult. So if you look at the top of the board and I'm not going to run through every single player, but let's just say the top five or six players in pricing. I mean, anybody can go look at that and find out exactly, but we're talking about the Hattons and the Connors and the Fowlers of the world there. They're inside the top five or six of my model when it comes to win equity with it. So it's kind of the same answer that you just gave. I, I didn't have proper value at any of their prices per se with it, but it's just, it's a difficult tournament to try to get exposure to, to when the whole top of the board is mimicking what the sports books are putting out there. And um, to me, that kind of reeks of an event to where either it's going to be a winner of Terrell Hatton or give me one of these long shots down the board at one of these hundred to one prices. Uh, I love the way that you're doing it with the youth effect of it and trying to get an Alex Smalley or any of those players across the finish line and maybe we look in three years and we're like, oh yeah, Alex Smalley ended up becoming a top 20 player in the world. Like, of course he did. Like, how did we get that price a couple years ago with it? So that would be my preferred way to play it. I just think it's difficult in these weeks where like the top of the board does mimic. And I'm not a person that's ever going to have massive deviations from the sports book, which when I do have a deviation, it means something to me, but it's mm-hmm. one of those standard weeks to where Yes, Terrell Hatton should be the favorite. Yes, Siwoo Kim and Ricky Fowler and Corey Connors all should be around where they are, maybe a little bit higher according to my math, but we're still talking about players with, you know, three to 4% win equity in this event.
0: Absolutely, and I just don't like to force plays shorter than 20 to one or even 30 to one. And on players that I'm used to seeing in the 40, 50 to one range, it just really doesn't feel right.
1: Yeah, I mean, unless the value's there, and I I don't think it is in this situation, as much as I love Corey Connors every single week, he's won one time and he won this tournament at 250 to one, which I did back him at 250 to one in 2019. Like that's one of the biggest bets I've ever hit from an outright perspective, but there's a big difference with Corey Connors at 250 to one and Corey Connors in this sub 25 to one zone.
0: Mm -hmm. And this is a course that's shown outright winners come at big numbers more often than not. So hopefully we get a big one to cash. And if not, we'll have room on our outright card to play live. Yeah, but that's the, the best
1: way I think to do it this week.
0: Let's drop down into some other markets. Uh, you mentioned your matchup bet. Do you have any other matchup bets or placement market bets?
1: I don't have anything in the matchup sector. Um, as always, tune into my Action Network article on Wednesday, where I will touch on... Any of the first round bets that I have, Um, I always try to add one to those articles, but I do have a handful of placement wagers. I'm not going to spend too much time on them because it would just be me going through all the same players that I backed in the outright market, but just to very quickly touch on the numbers, because all of these should still be available at the time of about an hour ago, Uh, Joseph Bramlett at four to one to come top 20, and then also 10 to one to come top 10. Kind of just goes back to that unique game to find success at TPC San Antonio that I liked. There's going to be the high end upside in numbers in multiple areas. I hope that outweighs some of the volatility that he has. I took Robbie Shelton at plus 300 for a top 20. You can find better there. If you look around, that's going to be a book that paid ties in full. So that's why that price was a little bit reduced. Took Andrew Putnam at plus 250 at for a top 20. I feel like I talked about him a lot of why I liked him maybe more so than anybody else. So I'll leave it at that. And then Alex Smalley plus 320 for a top 20. This was one of those spots, Roberto. I highly considered playing this as a ladder sort of wager uh, Mm -hmm. going up into a top 10 and a top five. I was worried that there might be more volatility here than meets the eye. Whether that means I want to put more on a top 20 wager because I did want to go more in other areas like. I usually bet to win a unit, like maybe if I bet to win a unit and a half right now, I have it as a unit for full disclosure on it to win a unit that is with it. But, you know, whether it's to win a unit or a unit and a half, I just thought there was too much volatility to punch a ticket on a top 10 or a top five. So they're just going to essentially be top 20 wagers for me with the sprinkle of Bramlett there at uh, 10 to one to come top 10.
0: I'll touch on Nick's top 40 bets because he has quite a few. Uh, He has Ryan Fox top 40, which was his best bet we mentioned earlier. He has been on top 40 at plus 160. He is betting Brandon Wu top 40 in addition to his outright bet at plus 150. He's also got Patton Kazire top 40 plus 165. Alex Smalley top 40 plus 140. So we're all on Smalley. He also, uh, I forgot to mention this, Andrew Putnam to win 55 to one as well. And he also is tailing your best bet of the week the matchup bet nick taylor over adam shank at minus 110 uh for my or before we get go on any of those that stand out to you outside of Smalley and obviously the matchup that he he tailed from you
1: i kind of like everything that he's on there the kazire bet is interesting so kazire is a golfer that i was trying to figure out and there was two names. And no matter what market you want to talk about here, like I would try to back maybe more aggressive markets with some of these players, but uh Kazire and Ryan Palmer were really the two golfers that I was trying to figure out. Mm. Did I want exposure to them? And if I did want exposure to them, what market did I want to get my exposure to? I ended up not punching a ticket on either one of them, but I I think the Kazir route is very, very intriguing. Um, We've seen him come top 10 here over the past two years. Obviously had the 10th place finish at the Valspar. He was a little shaky before that to start the season. But uh, to me, that kind of screams more of a player that I might want to back as, you know, maybe a top 20 than anything else. But... I think it's an intriguing price that Nick got for the top 40 there. Like, I'm not gonna talk anybody out of that. Um, we're not talking about one of those top 40 wagers to where, you know, they're plus a hundred and I think there's volatility to them. Like, there's there's volatility to Kazire, but you're also getting it at a number that's conducive to kind of take that shot. So I don't have a problem with that. I think that's a unique way to go.
0: I'm looking at Patton Kazir's data golf profile and he doesn't really have a big weakness, which I think is interesting, and he comes in riding some pretty strong form with the putter and on approach, and that's a winning combination normally. So I'm intrigued by him. I think that top forty bet is something at plus one sixty five that I'm going to tail this week. So it's that, an int- and yeah, that's the so pod playlist.
1: Yeah, it's an intriguing number. Like he's inside the top fifty for me when it comes to safety and. Uh, I mean, we're talking about a golfer that's plus one sixty five in the top forty market, and not that he ever necessarily cracks the top forty in any area. But I, I don't necessarily think you need that when you're getting a plus one sixty five price. It just kind of goes back to that. And one of the the big things that I look for, and and, as you know, Roberto, I'm not a person that runs a whole ton of putting. Like I'm going to incorporate a, a little bit of it. I don't do nearly as much as Nick does, but, uh, 68th in my model in strokes game putting over a two-year regression model. He is 27th for me when we took it down to only slow greens, which he's getting this week. So that's a massive improvement uh, for a player that if he starts making some putts, I noticed the same thing with his data golf profile, where it seems to be pretty safe. And then obviously like when I ran my numbers for him, I got a very similar answer based off of that. There wasn't any glaring weakness for why I didn't like him. He just seemed like a, very steady, good player that started this year off slowly. Who missed a bunch of cuts, but um, you know something as making the cut and then hopefully coming in the top forty should be in play.
0: I like it. And speaking of players, just to make the cut, um, unfortunately, I didn't find much equity in the to miss the cut or players to fade, which I love doing the placement market bets. Actually, as I mentioned, I had the hoygar bet, but I also have another one on a player to finish X spot or better. That one's going to be on Brendan Todd, and I really like this one. Um, so Brendan Todd has played the Valero Texas open six times in his career when he has been above average relative to the field in driving accuracy, he's finished T6, T8 and T30. And the other three times where he was below average relative to the field in driving accuracy, he missed the cut, missed the cut and finished T61. This year on the PGA tour, he's played in 13 events. And in every single one of those 13 events, he has been above average relative to the field in driving accuracy. So I think that trend is going to continue. He'll make it 14 for 14 this week, and I've got him for 45th or better in the placement markets at Bet365. Speaking of Bet365, a reminder that the Links and Locks podcast is proudly presented by Bet365, the world's favorite sportsbook brand. Sign up with promo code ACTION, that's A-C-T-I-O-N, to get Bet365's exclusive sign-up offer in New Jersey and Colorado Bet $1 on any game, get $200 free. Additionally, like you said, you have Robbie Shelton to win outright. I couldn't get there on him just because of his putter, but he's strong on approach and around the green top 35 on the tour in both of those strokes gained metrics. He's had two of his three worst putting performances of the entire year in his last two starts. So I'm a little wary of the bulky putter, but I like that he comes in with the terrible putting form because it gives us some value on his number. It's a nice yeah. buy low spot on him. So I bet him top 20 three twenty. Uh, You also have the same bet, but top, but plus 300. And you mentioned it's always worth getting that p- ties paid out in full. If you have that available to you.
1: Yeah, that's, that's my opinion on it. If, as long as the prices are as close as that one was like, sometimes you get these massive deviations to where it makes more sense to go the other way with it. Uh, I was fortunate enough to where I I was able to get a price that I thought was conducive to go the route I did. But uh, I kind of tend to agree with you that the best way to play Shelton would be more in that sort of market. There was negative trajectory when we're looking for upside, but you know, the same answer could be said about Taylor Moore a couple weeks ago, and he won the tournament and it just came down to me number grabbing a situation. And I think there's a lot that comes into play with Robbie Shelton there. Uh, Number one in my model, as I said, in the weighted greens and regulation percentage, and the Brendan Todd wager. So uh, Todd would be another golfer that I was trying to figure out a way to get exposure to. I couldn't necessarily figure out what that answer was going to be for me. Maybe that's the best way to play him this week. Uh, third in my model over two-year regression in driving accuracy. He's also 10th in this field in weighted GIR percentage. So there is a lot to like. And, and that's before we even start talking about bogey avoidance numbers and scrambling and sand save. So The profile is really nice for this course. He is about a top 12 to 13 win equity player for me. Uh, That's not an answer that you necessarily get. Like I considered him in the outright market. I didn't punch the ticket. I decided to go other routes with it. Uh, Maybe I'm going to probably tell you at the end of the day on the wager that you just took. But uh, as we seem to have realized on this show, there are certain players that my model continually spits out. Uh, Brendan Todd seems to be one of them whether anybody wants to hear it or not, Brian Harmon consistently makes my (laughs) plays. Uh, We have a handful of others. Obviously Alex Smalley seems to be a very popular choice of mine, but it kind of goes back to what we always say, Roberto. It's like, trust your numbers. Keep going back when you have an edge on these plays. And until something changes, I'm always going to be the person that attacks these situations whenever it's conducive to do so. So um, I I think Brendan Todd fits that mold perfectly this week to try to be aggressive with.
0: I'm frustrated that I wasn't able to bet last week after doing PG, as I was doing PJ Tour Live because a guy that I bet on a couple times early in the year, Sam Burns, finally showed some form and we figured out that he had that non-conforming driver at, I believe it was Genesis, hadn't figured it out until he got to Valspar and then also was doing a little bit of a swing change and then that finally came together and then we know that he's a great putter and Nick hit on him last week. So at least we got that out there. Hopefully somebody tailed, uh, texted a buddy on Friday or Saturday afternoon that Sam Bird's gonna win and he ended up doing it. My buddy tailed that bet live. Um, so just stick to the guys that you like. If you feel confidently that they're mispriced over the long term, it could hit for you this week.
1: Yeah, there's always situations on both ends of the spectrum, by the way. It's not just people to win, it's it's players that are overpriced that you kind mm-hmm. of can start, and that's where you can find the head-to-head matchups against them. And that's really from a head-to-head betting perspective, like I build my numbers early. And as soon as I see, like I kind of have a general idea of players that I want to take on. And as soon as I start seeing prices, I I start price shopping and trying to find the best matchup that I can find against an opponent. And sometimes you find a situation like with Davis Riley to where like players are minus 160 against him. And I don't want to lay the juice because I don't have some massive feeling. Like we look at where Davis Riley's price. He's a top 10 guy to win this event. My model has him outside the top 25. I was hoping that I could get him against a player, you you know, like a Chris Kirk in a head-to-head matchup. That would make sense. And I didn't necessarily find a price that seemed to be warranting that. Uh, but then sometimes you find a situation to where there is a value out there to take a player on. And that's kind of my whole strategy is who are my fade candidates? Go from there. Is there value in this number? If the answer is yes, where is the best value that can be found? And I build my card in reverse almost in that sense of, let me find the players I want to take on rather than the players I want to back for head dead wagers.
0: Are there any other bets that you have this week or should we get into rapid fire?
1: Let's do rapid fire, Roberto. I don't have anything else. It is kind of a bulky card with, like I have over a unit in placement bets. I have over, I have uh, 1.1 units on Nick Taylor. And then I have a half a unit. Like I wasn't even anticipating getting to two and a half for a little bit over that at this point. Uh, We'll add more as the in-tournament structure comes along with it, but uh, it's not going to be a week. I wouldn't imagine that's going to be more than five, six, seven units. Unless this in-tournament market from a head-to-head perspective really starts becoming enticing.
0: So you mentioned mostly players. We mentioned mostly players that we're betting on this week at longer numbers. So let's discuss some of the players at shorter numbers that we couldn't come to in the outright market. But we'll do this from a head-to-head perspective instead of an outright perspective, because I think we touched on most of them okay. uh, already. Uh, Ricky Fowler or Corey Connors?
1: I, I would give a very slight lean to Corey Connors. Um, I, I don't, th- like, I can give you my proper number on it. So my proper number between these two is Corey Connors minus 108. Uh, it is a very thin margin between the two of them. I, I I don't think you can necessarily go wrong. They're both top five players, but I will say Corey Connors. Who would you pick, Roberto?
0: I'd go Ricky. Uh, I think his form is just outstanding right now. And I don't want to go against the Juju this week. Um, what about Taylor Montgomery or Hideki Matsuyama?
1: I, I guess I have to say Hideki just because my numbers like him so much. But between the injury concerns, I I worry about – like. It's one of those tough spots, Roberto, if you're running this from a mathematical perspective, and I won't even get to the exact math of this one. We can just talk about the overall rank of it. Um, I have Hideki second in my model overall. That's not considering the injury concerns that come into play. I have Taylor Montgomery 10th. Like, I would prefer Hideki there. You know, maybe maybe I'll give you a different answer, though, because I'm kind of afraid Hideki's going to pull out of this tournament, if I'm being honest. I would be too. Uh, I'm, I'm going to change my answer. I I think that if you're basing this off of a situation to where, which player does my math like better, it would be Hideki. Um, I just, I don't know if Hideki makes it through this week. So I guess like by default, almost I pick Montgomery, uh, for just that reason more so than anything else.
0: If you knew Hideki Matsuyama was at full health, what number would you think he would be this week?
1: I, I, I know this is going to sound shocking, And I'm not necessarily saying that this is correct. First of all, I think he should be the favorite in this tournament if he was healthy. Uh, That's above Terrell Hatton. I mean, if they made him sub 20 to 1, I think that's certainly fine with it. And I don't know, somewhere in that 16 to 1 range is kind of just from like a pure mathematical perspective when I ran it the first time, what I thought a proper number was on him. But there's so many back-end concerns that we're running into with Hideki to where I don't know where he's at with his game. And I will also add from a statistical perspective, he has regressed in 2023 compared to the two-year regression model that I'm running. So um, whether you want to base that off of injury concerns that he's been suffering from, that maybe his game is not as crisp. Maybe his game is just for whatever reason regressed this year. Like there's problems on that front of it, but I kind of think a Hideki healthy version of him. Like I've given this answer before Roberto I go to TPC Summerlin for the Shriners pretty much every single year to watch. And there's a lot of good players that go out to that event. I, you know, I mean, some of the best players in the world. I saw Jason Day play last year. I mean, you have the the cream of the, the crop of coming out there every single year. But uh, Hideki the best person I've ever watched play in person from a ball striking wow. perspective. I was so blown away how anybody could be that good at golf. Uh, that it was like glaring compared to some of the other people I was watching. And that was like in a tournament with DeChambeau and with Cantley in it. And I thought Hideki's ball striking was next level. And unfortunately that's a version of him from years ago that I don't know if he's necessarily there, but if Hideki can get healthy, we know he's a top 10 player in the world.
0: I agree that he should be the favorite. If we knew he was at full health in this tournament, I still see him a tier above Tyrell Hatton. Um, it really may be sad to see him withdraw last week and wearing the neck patch and everything. And hopefully he gets back to full health sooner than later. I'm still really surprised he's play that he even signed up to play this tournament. I'm yes. surprised he's not trying to focus on Augusta, get back healthy. Uh, but he knows what he's doing, so hopefully it works out for him. Um, Matt Kucher or JJ Spawn?
1: I will take Matt Kucher.
0: Matt Wallace or the loan shark, Ben Griffin?
1: (laughs) My model loves Ben Griffin. I don't know what it is about Ben Griffin. He's (laughs) top 10 for me every single week that I run it. And uh, like, this is one of the highest I've ever had Matt Wallace. Like I want to say he's 30th for me, which I know that doesn't sound great. And it's not great compared to what his price tag is, Uh, but I never even get him that high on a model. So I'm going to say Griffin is kind of the real deal. And I I worry about what his upside is. But if we're talking about this from a head to head betting perspective, I'll take Ben Griffin. I think he's relatively safe. I mean, he's kind of a top 40 machine at this point or a top 50 machine.
0: Going back to, to through November, he hasn't gained more than a half stroke. Uh, well, he's gained more than a half stroke per round on approach one time. And that was at Pebble beach pro-am where he only played run round there. So not complete data. Um, he hasn't, he's just not great on approach. He's, generally fine like gaining strokes but not a ton on approach the short game is really good and he's sneaky long but I just can't figure out why he keeps playing so well he gets the most of rounds he just knows how to score I'm yeah there are certain golf
1: there's certain players like that that buck my model and and by the way he's actually grading well for me so this doesn't even necessarily fit the answer that I'm about to give right now but There are certain players and Nick and I were having, we had this conversation earlier. My model dislikes Michael Kim every single week, but I kind of tend to think Michael Kim is a good golfer. He continues to put up (laughs) results and he's scoring and he's giving you top 50 finishes. My model couldn't tell you for the life of it of why that's happening. He's producing though. And I I think the one thing with Griffin, that could be a problem here. If you're looking for a reason to why he does struggle It comes down to the approach game that you mentioned. So he's 86th in my model for weighted proximity. Every single, so I'm trying to figure out the best way to say this. So when we look at a course, like when I run my weighted proximity, I'm running it through a five-year perspective of it, of every single shot that's been hit. There's some flaws with doing it that way. Obviously, some players hit longer than others. Some players are shorter. Some players will be more inclined to have a longer distance in. I try to incorporate that into the back end of what I'm doing this is one of the s- s- lattice distributions that you will see in, in uh, proximity ranges or approach mm-hmm. ranges for second shots. So from zero to a hundred yards, it's over 10% of your shots. And then every 25 yard bucket from there up until 200 plus yards are all 10%. So you get this really flat distribution and maybe that's one of the reasons why it doesn't love the weight of proximity, but like In the same breadth of that, he's inside the top 25 of my model from within 100 yards, from 100 to 125 yards, from 125 to 150 yards. Really, the struggle starts taking place when it's 150 plus yards. He's outside the top 100 there. So if you're looking for a reason that why he's going to struggle, it would be that weighted proximity for him. But it, it kind of goes back to what you're saying about the short game. There are players that are going to run into more problems. Maybe Adam Schenk is that answer of that to where I think he's Overperforming at the end of the day. And then you have a guy like Ben Griffin, number three in my model and strokes gain around the green. He's number one in my model over the last 24 rounds. There's at least something I can point to there to where like, okay, this guy's going to be able to salvage the mistakes that he makes.
0: Mm -hmm. He's someone that's interesting and it's a shame that we don't have data on his only top 10 finish of the year, which was the T3 at the Butterfield Bermuda Championship, which he probably should have won without a back nine collapse. Um, Great story, guy who... Stopped playing mini tours, was a loan officer, eventually had some people say, hey, man, you're way too good to not be playing pro golf. Helped him out financially, made it on the Corn Ferry Tour, and the rest is history. Uh, so watch out for the loan shark out there. Good little player. Good, 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 good little player. Um, we, this is going a little bit long. I want to touch on early thoughts for the Masters. Who have you bet anybody you're targeting there you want to see at a certain number?
1: So the only wager that I have in right now, and this is unfortunately not the answer that I'd like to give at this time of the year in an ideal situation, I would have more of a bulky card to where maybe even my outright card is built at this point. And I feel like there were so many situations and the masters is kind of one of those answers more so than any tournament. I always run this, uh, an article every single year. I call it the seven deadly sins. And there's certain requirements that a player cannot have to win the masters. And I run this for four or five years and it usually condenses the pool down to, you know, 10 to 15 players, like maximum 15 players. You usually can get it about to that eight to 10 range. Uh, And every single year, the winner has been on that list. I try for the Masters because of those reasons to be a little bit later in the week to where I put in these wagers. I know like I missed some of the value along the way, but it's been so predictive over the extension period of time that I've run it to where... I want all the final data in for some of those things. Like some of it's like one of the things is you can't be 45 years or older. Like that's obviously going to eliminate all your, like that's a very basic one, but -hmm. there's also three putt percentages. Like you can't be a certain three putt percentage here. Uh, You're around the green game has to be a certain point of it. So I always try to figure out what the um, median total is that I'm trying to find because anybody who's outside that median total is always eliminated from my, uh, my picks to win based off of that answer. So as of right now, Jason Day is the only person that I have an outright ticket on, but uh, we will talk about this early on Tuesday and we will get to a lot of those answers.
0: I mentioned this to you before we got on the air, but Jason Day hasn't been available in a lot of the markets that I've been trying to look at, uh, or a lot of the books that I've been trying to bet on for the Masters, and he's at a much shorter now. Uh, so frustrating. Uh, I mentioned before on the podcast that I did bet Tony Finau last year at 50 to one to win the masters. Great, great, great court history there. Um, that was during the surge where he won the two tournaments in a row. Um, I also have a Sung J M ticket at 40 to one, which went down. He's now gone back up to 41. To so you can find him out there. Uh, he is 40 to one on bet three, six, five. So I think he's someone who fits the masters. I told you a month or so back that I thought he was going to win at some point soon. So I'm sticking to my guns. I would bet him again uh, to win the Masters. So I like Sung JM, um, and that's all I've got so far. So uh, looking forward to seeing a, an odds boost for the Masters next Monday when, or Sunday night, whenever it is. Because uh, some of these books where they have the odds available for the Masters for forever, but then it comes the week of the Masters, they update their numbers, and they actually give you some more bettable numbers on certain yeah. players. Um, so very much looking forward to that.
1: Yeah, it, that's the one thing with majors is sometimes when you get ahead of the market, you're obviously going to get the better price. And as the week goes on, it's one of those tournaments where books will make adjustments and react, and you're going to see players drift in price. And I I always say from a major perspective, if you don't have the card built leading into the tournament, just be patient. There are so many shops out there that are biting, trying to get your money at the end of the day, and shops are going to move to try to bring Funds in on their end of it, so uh, it's a patient game. At the end of the day, with it, and as far as just want to point this out, as far as your Tony Finau and Sungjae Im wagers go, obviously, as I said, I haven't run the numbers yet for it, but I would assume that those are two guys. Just even just looking at the data, I have a feeling that both of them are going to qualify as names that can win the event. Um, they kind of fit all the thresholds when I ran it a month ago. That they were trending in that direction when I did it.
0: All right. Actually, final question for you, Spencer. Okay. What number, or I know you haven't run, your, run the data yet, but what number or close to what number would you need to punch an outright ticket for Jordan Speeth to win the Masters?
1: I'd have to run a number on it to give you an answer. And I know that's like this, the bailout answer of that. Uh, Jordan Spieth is so intriguing at Augusta. When you look at a wide open venue that allows him to spray the ball off the tee a little bit more than he normally does. And we know the undulation of these greens and you have to be creative and you have to do things that you go outside the box with it. I kind of have always historically thought that speed that this tournament, no matter what price is out there is almost at least in consideration because it's never going to necessarily be a fair price, but his upside to win the masters more so than any other tournament is probably the highest of any event you'll ever see for him. Like mm. personally, I don't, I, to be honest with you, I don't even know what his price is right now in the market, but
0: 18 to one I Bet three, six, five,
1: I was going to say, I'd probably want like 25 to one if I was going to bet it. Um, And that kind of goes back to what I'm saying though. I don't know if you're ever going to necessarily get a fair price on him, but man, Jordan speak at the masters. Like I, I would not be shocked if he finds a way in his career to win it. One, two more times. Like, we almost saw him win it multiple times already, so mm-hmm. like a- anything can happen with him.
0: Twenty-five to one is a magic number for me. If UConn wins the national championship on Monday or Miami, I'll have some extra fun to play with that I might sprinkle on there, even if I don't tell you guys about it next Tuesday. Um, I'm also gonna have to show some. Re- well, I I like Speed a lot next week. Um, I hope we get the I, I do
1: is. too. Naturally, I mean, I think he's a player that's very intriguing. I don't know if I'm gonna necessarily get there on an outright pick ticket for the reasons that I mentioned, but it's kind of, as I said, I don't know even his upside there almost cannot be computed in a model just because mm-hmm. like there you, like Roberto, there's years that he's come to this tournament before or to Augusta. That is he has been one of the worst players in the world and he shows up and he performs like he's still performing there. Even when his game was horrible. I think this version of him right now is actually clicking kind of on all cylinders. He seems to be in tune with his game more so than he usually is leading up there. So uh, like Jason Day, Jordan Speed, those are two golfers that have the skill sets required to win there. And they're really trending in the right direction to get it done if they can. I don't know if the prices are proper now based off of what they are, but I would not be shocked if either one of those two guys had the green jacket on them uh, next Sunday.
0: Kind of like a um, an Izzo team in March. <laughs> like, doesn't matter what seed they are. If they're in, they're dangerous. Uh, Pretty much. Sports- Where can the people find you this week before our next podcast?
1: Yeah. So you can find me on Twitter at T off sports. As I talked about earlier, I will have an article tomorrow uh, on Wednesday over at action network, where I will talk about some of the round one plays, some of the value that I have on this board. I'm sure we'll talk about some of these names, but there will be some random plays that are going to come out in that first round leader market that I will recommend to everybody, or at least talk about. And then, yeah, you can find my model that I post and a lot of those numbers I just talked about over on Rotoballer.
0: Awesome. Um, Nick wasn't on the show today. We did mention a lot of his picks. Uh, You can find him at Sticks Picks. That's Sticks with an X on Twitter. Um, You guys also have the Better Golf Podcast that you can find them there talking more DFS focused stuff instead of uh, just other gambling that we do on this show. Uh, You can also find me at RobertoA213 on Twitter. I'll also be on the Gimme tomorrow with Jason Sobel. So find our picks there. We both have the same first-round leader bet that we really like. Um, And you can find more golf content for betting this week on the Action Network website. We had some live bets last week on... Sam Burns to win it all at five to one on Saturday afternoon. So be sure to monitor as we'll have those every single night, getting you ready for potential matchup plays, placement market bets and outright bets going into the weekend and throughout the weekend here at the Valero Texas open. So that'll do it for us here on the links and locks podcast presented by bet three, six, five for more great content from our action network team. Check out our best bets episode from earlier this week featuring featuring our own Jason Sobel and the PGA Tours' Ben Everell as they quickly run down their top plays for the Valero Texas Open. Be sure to check out actionnetwork.com and the Action app for all of our great golf betting and DFS content. Thanks again to everyone who makes this podcast possible, especially our producers Noah, Sophia, and Matt. Here's to hoping you guys hit it big, deep in the heart of Texas this week.